Hello, and welcome to the Everybody Brands Podcast, where we help you build brands, shape your culture, and inspire your team. I'm Brian Soy, principal of Aspire, a design and marketing agency that helps people build thriving organizations and purpose-driven brands through strategy, design, and the story brand marketing framework. So hello, everyone. This is the Everybody Brands Podcast, and today I am talking with Sarah Olivieri from Pivot Ground. And Sarah is a nonprofit strategist with a passion for helping organizations thrive in the digital age. She's the founder and heart behind Pivot Ground, an agency that helps human service nonprofits increase capacity, deliver better programming, attract more funding, and make the world a better place. And today we're going to talk a little bit about um, strategy, and she created the Impact Method, which is a business framework for nonprofits that's designed to help them thrive. Um, so, Sarah, welcome to the Everybody Brands podcast. Thank you. It's so great to be here. I'm excited for our conversation today. Yeah, me too. So let's let's just dive right in. And you know, just as we were chatting, um, you really chuckled at that comment I made. Uh, how about how strategy is so important, but strategy is the thing that nobody wants to do? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I asked this question on some nonprofit groups recently, like, what are your pet peeves about strategy or something like that? And I noticed that most of the nonprofit people who responded were just like, strategic planning is not helpful and annoying and takes up too much time. And most of the consultants who answered were like, the nonprofits don't want to do the work that we need them to do. And they don't realize how important strategy is. And I hope that the impact method kind of solves this because I really agree with both of them. I agree that strategy is really, really important. Without it, you don't have direction. You don't have a really way to ensure that your movement is in a direction you want to go in. But it shouldn't be so hard. It shouldn't feel like this unhelpful chore that takes a ton of time. And so I really worked hard to create a framework that gives you a strategy in less time. And I think traditionally with nonprofits, the piece that's been missing from strategy work is capacity work. And those two things have to go hand in hand because if you don't have the capacity to execute your strategy, it's not going to be fun and it's not going to be successful. And if you, um, if your strategy doesn't include building your capacity as you grow, then your strategy is going to lead you to a place where you'll be stuck. So you really can't, in my mind, separate working on strategy from working on capacity. Right. That makes so much sense. And as you were saying that, I, I think that's applicable to any organization that, you know, they, they have big plans and big dreams and they've got a strategy to get there. And then they realize they don't have the staff or the resources to do that. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. If you're, so in my mind, one of the definitions of a good strategy is, it should start, like point A should be where you are right now. If the beginning of your strategy is somewhere that you have to get to, that's not going to help you. You need to know what your exact next step is in your strategy. I, I agree 100%. Um, 
you know, it's, strategy really becomes a roadmap from getting from point A to point B. And you, you can you can plan that, you know, we're going to implement the strategy. But like you said, the first part of getting the first part of implementing it may need to be to get to where you need to start. But that's got to be part of the strategy, too. Exactly. And then from there, it really should be ongoing. So I think a couple things in, in the impact method, we treat the strategy as an iterative strategy. It's something that you move a few, you evolve your strategy every 60 days by reviewing what has worked and you're a little farther into the future. And the concept of setting, making a three-year strategy or a five-year strategy doesn't really work because some goals have, you can set that goal far in the future and, and you can know basically it has a long timeline because of the nature of the goal. Like let's say we just put on a new roof on our building. It's a 20-year roof. In 20 years, we're going to have to replace the roof. So what do we need to do to make sure we can replace the roof? Other goals have just naturally a very short timeline. Like Imagine if you're responding to a natural disaster, like help people tomorrow doing X, Y, and Z, that has a really short timeline. You might not even be able to plan many steps if the circumstances are changing rapidly. Or most things about goals relating to the internet are going to be relatively short term because the internet evolves and changes so quickly. So it really, you're the the amount of time that your strategy covers is really dependent on the goals that are in it. And setting an arbitrary amount of time that you're going to set goals for doesn't really help you in any way. All right. So would you recommend milestones as opposed to timeframes? Well, what we do is we set down in, in the impact strategy and we, we start with our mission and we build it visually. So it ends up looking like a mind map, which allows a lot more communication to happen in a condensed amount of space, which is helpful for people because you want to be looking at your strategy regularly. And if you have to read through a long document, you're not really going to want to do that. So um, we look at it visually and we start with the mission as our core goal. And from there, we say, what are the outcomes we need to achieve in order to make a step towards farther towards achieving our mission? And once we know that outcome, we say, well, what are the, what we call them execution goals, the actions that we actually have control over that will probably have the outcome that will bring us closer to our mission? And, and then we just set those goals and we, then we, we kind of keep them in a, an order of operations hierarchy that's very simple. It's do first, meaning we are ready to start working on this goal anytime. Do next, meaning we probably could start this goal now, but it will be easier to achieve once we've done these do first items. And the third level is build capacity to do, which it means we want to do it, but we don't have the ability to start on it now. Some other things have to be in place first. Um, and so that is really kind of instead of milestones, we have our goals in place and we know the order in which we're going to start working on them. All right. No, that's great. That's like a hierarchy then of, of next steps. Love that. Exactly. So and in that, do you find that communications often plays a role in then achieving those outcomes that are part of the plan? Yeah, absolutely. And and in two ways. So. 
in we actually break outcomes into two types of goals um, impact goals which are things that you want people to do or a state that you want to be in so if you're like a human service nonprofit we want people to uh, homeless people to not be homeless or people with disabilities to be able to self-advocate for themselves that would be um, an impact that you would have on somebody and then the other type of outcome we call a perception goal, and that is the, an outcome of how somebody thinks, feels, or perceives you or something else. And whenever you hear perception goal, that is definitely like the branding light should go off, and then following branding, you know, communications, maybe marketing are going to come into place. But really, when we're talking about like the core to me of how to influence what somebody perceives, believes, thinks, or feels, branding does that work. There are a few other um, disciplines who do that work. They're just not as relevant in an in a organizational strategy like therapists do this. They are in the business of um, changing the way people think and feel, comedians, many artists. Um, but in, in the case of our organizations, it's usually branding is what we need and then following branding some sort of marketing or communication strategy that gets it out or sometimes gets it in our organization. So, um, and the reason why I split perception goals from impact goals is usually we need to make that impact and before the action that we can take, we have to get the perception. So it becomes a hierarchy. Like if I want to get a homeless person into an apartment, I first need to get the homeless person to trust me enough to even talk to me, and then I can take some actions in addition to that um, to actually, you know, facilitate helping them get into an apartment. Before we continue, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever imagined trying to read a label from the inside of a bottle? It doesn't sound easy, does it? Now imagine trying to do that with your business. Do you ever wonder if people on the outside of your company think your brand is clear and focused? If so, I want to tell you about the Clarity Credo, 12 strategies that can help you align your brand with your business around powerful principles that will inspire your team and transform your culture. The principles of the Clarity Credo will help you build a brand that people love through purpose, character, culture, and voice. The 12 strategies and a year's worth of free business insights can be yours when you sign up for the Clarity Credo at claritycredo.com. That's claritycredo.com. So that, it's interesting that you mentioned trust. So if we, we take a step back a little bit and just talk about how, how does the impact method and just, just focusing on strategy help organizations you know, nurture trust with not only the, the people they serve, but the people that they're asking for support from? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it does this in many, many ways because trust is so important 
when it comes to bringing people together, whether that's bringing a donor into an align into alignment with your organization or bringing someone you want to serve and actually being able to serve them or having staff um, move along in the direction you want them to move. So one area is actually having these clear goals laid out in a way that you can easily share with everybody in your organization. That is really helpful. We actually share, I encourage people to share their impact strategy with their major donors. Um, smaller level donors, they don't want to get involved at that level, but larger donors, they are often interested in are you going to succeed with your plans? And this is a great way to create that confidence and works really well for startup nonprofits who they're in the stage where like we basically have an uninvolved beginning board or maybe they're involved. Like how do we get to a point where we can start really delivering our mission? And it's usually get your board to raise enough money so you can put together this impact strategy and then use this impact strategy to reach out to your low, what I call your low hanging fruit major donors, the ones who are within your network or your board's network. And you use this to tell them about your vision and, and convince them that not only do you have a mission that's important, but you have a plan that's going to get you there in a sustainable way. And that's a great way to attract some first uh, major donors. So that's one way. Another way is we do a lot of work on core values in the impact method. And I, I can't say enough good things about core values because they, your mission is where you're going, but your core values is what is your MO? What are your rules of the road? Like how, how, how do you operate? Not from a functional perspective, but what are the parameters in which you keep your own integrity? And that has so much to do with how people trust you and which people will trust you. So I like to use the example of, you know, Robin Hood wanted to help the poor and he believed it was okay to steal from the rich to give to the poor. But somebody else um, might be there helping poor people, um, but say that stealing is not something we'll do under any circumstances. And so those two people have the same mission, but their MO for achieving that mission is going to be drastically different. And to me, core values are the way to get a really aligned team, they're a way to attract the donors who are going to be most inclined to want to take a journey with you. And that's what most donors want to do. They're, they're getting an emotional experience. They're getting uh, a journey of being able to be a part of you delivering your mission. And it's also a great way to attract involved board members and get the right people who you're serving or, or whoever, you know, whoever, whatever is your end kind of mission result, it's important that those people are aligned as well um, so that you're serving people who are really going to receive the full benefit of what you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, having the board um, fully aligned really is a critical part of that so that when when as the executive director comes back or they see the operations in in play they you know they can say yes yeah we 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 we're 100% behind that we believe that that's the direction you're going cuz you set that vision up for us and um we under, we understood that's where you were going but do you often find there's a disconnect between the board and then 
the let's just say the culture. So the way the organization's values are are guiding them, and then how they're how they're acting upon those values. So maybe the principles that are that they're following. Do you, do you often find a disconnect between the two? Yeah, um, I think. I think the reasons why there's often a disconnect comes from some a history of some bad advice, maybe for nonprofits. I think the advice of, you know, on your board, you want like a lawyer, an accountant, a business person, one person with money, one person who's a hard worker. That doesn't really get you what you need. And so and that can take you off track if you're focused on that. So to me, what you really need is a group of people who are who believe in your mission that's relatively easy who are value aligned meaning they share the same core values so they're going to believe generally in the same type of path to get to your mission and you also need um you need people who are ready to just ask questions and and filter like do I does this make sense to me and if not like what information do I need in order to be able to understand what's going in the nonprofit because the the core function of the board is really a governance function it's one of kind of looking into the organization and saying you know is everything working as it should be yes or no yes great awesome let's keep moving or there's some red flags why are there red flags and can I, you know, direct our executive director or to address those red flags? And if they're not going to, if they aren't addressing them properly, then it might be time for a new executive director, um, always after you do some cooperative work with your executive director. But if you're not, if board members are not value aligned with the organization, and if you don't know your organization's values, you're not going to get that then they're going to have different opinions. Like if you have both the Robin Hood and the other guy who believes stealing is wrong, no matter what, on your board, they're going to be in conflict about which way the organization has set out going. And so they're not going to be, you know, somebody's got to go in that situation. Someone's not value aligned. And I think like one other element about boards is, and this affects not just boards, but nonprofit leadership overall and, and through the whole staff is scarcity mindset mm. and and that fear of that there isn't going to be enough. So at the board level, building people who are building boards are afraid, you know, we're not going to find good board members. No one's going to want to be on our board. We're afraid to spend money. And I think that comes from a few places, one of which I think there's been a lot of pressure on nonprofits to have success every time they make a move, which is completely unrealistic. I mean, these are organizations who have pretty much every nonprofit I know has a mission that is so hard, it's impossible or nearly impossible to achieve. If it was easy to achieve, they probably wouldn't exist. So somebody would have just solved the problem already. And so there's and so nonprofits have been told you have to make a step towards achieving your mission that is nearly impossible. And by the way, your first step better be right, because we don't want you to, quote, waste money. But so there's this thinking then leads you into a fear of moving forward. But not moving and not moving forward is probably the most incredible waste of time, money, and resources you could possibly have in any business. 
And so then nonprofits just get stuck and it gets worse and worse and worse. And the poverty mindset gets worse and worse and worse as the scenario looks like it's just going to go downhill no matter what they do. Yeah, that, that's that's so true. Um, it, there needs to be an aspect of, of courage to how a nonprofit works in terms of the, the leadership being fearless and resilient and willing to adapt to change to, you know, to a changing environment, to adapt to that changing environment. So if they find that they may be thinking that there's a scarcity when there's really not, again, that that, that should be where the, maybe the board steps in and says, no, look, we, you know, you've, you've got an abundance here, or um, maybe it's just time to tweak the mission a bit or just tweak the expectations of the outcomes without reaching too far. Yeah, and I think boards are often – they can, even with a, I've seen many boards be the uh, genesis of the scarcity mindset because they, most board members, they're, they're all volunteers by law, and they don't really know much about running a nonprofit. I, I said this to a client recently and then heard it on another um, nonprofit Times was doing a webinar and their person said the same thing is that Board member, a board member who is experienced in business finance, for-profit business finance, is not necessarily going to know the levers that affect nonprofit finance because there's some really significant differences in how you do financial forecasting and budgeting for nonprofits because all of the key, most of the key metrics that are meaningful, I shouldn't say most, but many of the key metrics that are meaningful for for-profit organizations are just not that meaningful for nonprofit organizations because at the end of the day, a profit margin for a nonprofit is not a measurement of how effective or efficient the organization is. But for every for-profit, that is a pretty decent measurement of what's going on. Um, so it's really important that board members be brave, as you said. Like, you're not going to know how to run a nonprofit coming in. You could get some training as a board member, which would be great, but you need to really confidently hire an executive director and think about how, even though we don't know about running a nonprofit, how can we know if there's a red flag? You don't have to solve the red flag, but you have to be able to know how to measure if there's a red flag. Does that make sense? No, no, that does. Cause you think about the organizations that are out. So, you know, thousands of nonprofits soliciting for board members and what's, you know, what would be the first thing that, you know, in terms of board orientation for that new board member, if they're doing board orientation at all, what should be the first thing that that board member learns and goes through? I mean, I would think finance, of course, some, you know, here's how we, here's how we market ourselves. Um, here's your, here's your role and our, and the board's expectations of you, uh, because I think a lot of times those expectations are unstated or not explicitly stated. Before we continue, I want you to think about the things that stand in the way of achieving your business goals. For many leaders, it's complexity, uncertainty, and the challenge of getting their vision out of their head and onto paper so their team can thrive. The one thing I know business leaders are seeking is clarity for their brand, message, and business. 
I understand how frustrating it is when your business isn't growing or your marketing doesn't produce the results you expect. Instead of wasting money on marketing that doesn't work, the fastest way to grow your business is to define your focus and create a clear message about it with a StoryBrand marketing framework. Since I became a StoryBrand certified guide, I've helped dozens of leaders unify sales teams and grow their business with clear messaging that helps customers understand why they should engage, donate, and buy. StoryBrand is a proven model that helps teams and leaders communicate with clarity, connect with customers, and grow their sales. It's a sure way to get everyone on your team to speak in one voice with a clear and consistent message. So if you need help defining your focus and creating a clear message so your marketing starts to produce, contact Aspire at aspire.com slash storybrand. That's A-E-S-P-I-R-E dot com slash storybrand. So you can stop wasting money, find the clarity you need, and start growing your sales. What would be your recommendation for a, a nonprofit that, that's bringing on business people to the board? Yeah, those are all great recommendations. I mean, have an onboarding process. A lot of boards haven't even gotten there yet, and, and it might be even harder to get there because they don't know what, <laughs> what exactly their marketing process is. But I think a great place to start with board members is I like to just share make sure board members are clear that they basically only have two hats. I like to distill everything. Like, let's get rid of all the hats people are wearing and just bring it down to one or two. Um, so board members, in my mind, have two hats, and they all need to learn that right away. One hat is as a board member, they are a person who ha who is having an opinion and a vote on a board, but the board is one body. It acts as one. It makes decisions as one. That makes it kind of slow, but it also can make it good at reducing risk in certain ways. When you're not in a meeting and voting and taking this kind of joint group action, as a member of the board, you're just a super fan, volunteer, supporter of the organization. And I shouldn't say just, but as an individual, you have no power as a board member other than the influence you might have in a conversation at a board meeting. And so it's really important um, for board members to realize and for organizations to realize that when their board members are acting in that voting capacity, acting as one group, they are essentially in a way owners of the nonprofit. But when they break off and start doing something like we're going to help with fundraising or we're going to help with um, marketing or whatever it is that the nonprofit needs help with, that in that function, they are really under the domain of the executive director and the key leadership. And they are now within the structure of the organization and they hold no special power as a board member. They're just a really dedicated volunteer. And I think it's really helpful for board members to understand those dueling um, roles and to not get those two hats confused. Um, after that, you know, things like, you know, bylaws, definitely finances, if the organization has a data dashboard to understand what are the numbers that the nonprofit is watching and why do we watch them. Um, you know, what are they telling us about the organization and how are they working together? Most nonprofits don't have like 
it's hard to get one number that kind of tells you if you're making progress towards your mission. So there's usually a lot of different numbers that are kind of roughly triangulating if you're going in the right direction, but you're, you rarely kind of have a, a solid pin on exactly a, a number that would represent like, you know, if your mission is to give people access to healthcare, like how do you really measure that? Or if your mission is somehow making people feel more fulfilled in their life, like that's pretty fuzzy to measure um, how many people feel how much more fulfilled than they did yesterday. So um, to recognize that the, the key metrics are going to be a work in progress too for the organization. So one thing, one comparison you made there really caught my attention. Uh, before before we proceed, I just want to remind everybody, talking with Sarah Olivieri from Pivot Ground, uh, an agency that helps human service nonprofits increase capacity, deliver better programming, and make the world a better place. And she's the creator of the Impact Method, a business framework for nonprofits. So, you know, and just that that idea of business and nonprofit always seems to throw people off a little bit, but I digress there. But one of the key distinctions you made was, you know, you're right, when the board is working together, they they must have one voice, they vote together. But And too often I see when a, a board takes responsibility, for instance, for marketing, they in a sense want to take that from the staff and leadership. And that, of course, depends on the size of the organization. But that that's opportunity for a disconnect as well when, um, and strategically, if you've got that disconnect, it's hard to keep everybody moving forward if the board wants to do one thing, but people who are on the ground day in and day out are saying, well, no, that's not how it needs to, to work, or that's not really going to meet our needs in terms of that function that you want to take over, you know, the quote marketing committee or, you know, the finance committee or whatever other committee uh, the board decides to, to form. Absolutely. Um, we use a tool in the impact method called the nonprofit blueprint to really put this on paper and clarify that what, what it should be, but also it really shows why you can't do that as a board unless you want to mess up your entire nonprofit. And, and the thing is that you, the nonprofit blueprint lays out what are the functions that make your nonprofit run properly and functions like um, enrollment in your programs, actually delivering your programs, managing your resources, that could be finances, your buildings, uh, your, your staff, human resources, um, fundraising, of course, is a critical function for most nonprofits. All of those types of functions, they're at kind of the bottom level of our hierarchy. And anyone who's listening can go to our blog and, and download the nonprofit blueprint template. But in that template, you'll see those core functions that I just listed actually have to have another function, which we call integration, that has the job of keeping those types of functions coordinated, because those functions have natural conflicts that are healthy and good, and they need like a third function to ensure that they are that the best thing for the organization at that time is what happens. So for example, and maybe I'll just step back and kind of clarify about the use of the word marketing. So in for-profit businesses, we can say, oh, we have a marketing department, but marketing is really um, a discipline, if you will, 
that helps you find people who might be interested in your product or service or whatever it is and get them to engage to a point that they want to take action with you. And and sometimes that's re-engaging people as well. So in a for-profit business, we can kind of just say that our lead generation, which is finding people and engagement, is marketing. But in a nonprofit, I like to avoid using the word marketing department because usually we have an enrollment department, which uses a lot of marketing, where we're looking for people who might want to benefit from our programs and services and get them through an enrollment process so that they can benefit from those services. And then we're also going to have a fundraising department that is going to use a lot of marketing because they want to find donors who are likely to feel great about donating to our nonprofit. And we want to get them engaged to the point that they take action and become active donors and then level up as donors. And then there's another department that actually for-profits and nonprofits use marketing for, which is human resources, reaching out to finding potential staff members who are good fits for your organization and getting them to want to work for you and keeping them happy. So we have three departments now at a nonprofit who are all going to be using marketing. And I'll leave human resources to the side for a moment, but a fundraising marketing piece and an enrollment marketing piece are naturally going to compete for resources. Who, you know, who gets space on the homepage of the website? Who's getting, you know, most of the, the territory on a Facebook page? Who's, you know, who's getting is, are the advertising dollars going towards fundraising? Or are they going towards filling, filling programs? And so you need to be prepared to navigate those, you know, those natural healthy conflicts. And if the board has pulled fundraising out of the nonprofit, essentially, and up into the board, then there is going to be no function to connect the fundraising activities with the enrollment marketing activities. And one of them is probably going to suffer terribly. Yeah, so you, you stated that so well. It's such a beautiful perspective um, because if if marketing is, is a a role, you're going to miss the functional aspects of what it actually can accomplish. Um, right. Marketing is not an outcome. It's an activity you do to get an out- outcome. Ex- exactly. And again, I think there are so many co- comparisons here and so many applications of this framework to a business uh, and and I know you, you and I are, are, or at least I am, a fan of making sure that a business leader understands the distinctions between how they would be functioning as a, a board member and then um, how that board member um, understands how they need to work within, within the structure of the nonprofit. Um, so where there are similarities, there are also differences. And too often, again, because I, I remember this from my board service coming in and thinking, oh yeah, they, they need these services. They want me on the board because I'm familiar with branding. I'm familiar with marketing. And then as, as time goes by, understanding how those become functions within specific areas within the organization. Thanks for listening to the Everybody Brands podcast from Brian Soy. You can find more content like this at aspire.com and in the forthcoming book, Everybody Brands, how storytelling helps companies and customers build brands that people love. 
In the meantime, look for books by Brian Soy on Amazon.com and discover resources to help you build powerful brands that inspire and engage at aspire.com slash resources. That's A-E-S-P-I-R-E dot com slash resources.